Well, it gives me great joy to introduce our speaker this morning, the Reverend Helen Azer. I first met Helen when she was a fourth-year student over the road at Christchurch reading modern languages, and I was a university chaplain here. That was in 1999. Helen stood out amongst many hundreds of students that I had the privilege of pastoring because of her sincere hunger for God. We were thrilled when her degree finished. She came and worked with us for a year as an intern, a lay assistant, and then went to Wycliffe Hall, uh, training for the ordained ministry, and then we were blessed when she returned to be our curate for three years. And for the last 14 years, she served uh, and is now the director of Heart Cry Ministries, where she, until COVID lockdown, traveled the world encouraging and renewing the church. She has wonderful gifts of pastoring and preaching and prophecy, and we're thrilled to have you with us today, Helen. Let me pray for you, and then we'll tuck in. Thank you. Lord, we thank you for Helen. We thank you for her gifts. We thank you for her ministry, and we pray you'll bless her now. And as she speaks, will you bless her And will you bless us and will you speak to us? Amen. Amen. Thank you. Well, good morning, everyone. It is absolutely fantastic and my great joy to be back here at St. Aldate's. This is a church, as Simon has already said, that I called home for 11 years. And it's still with great affection that I hold here and come to be with you this morning. Some of you have known me a long while, some just a short while, and some not at all, but it is a joy to be with you this morning. May I also just add my own special shout out to all mums today on Mother's Day, and mum, if you're watching, which I think you are, happy Mother's Day to you as well. You mums have been the heroes of lockdown, with homeschooling and all the other jobs and things you also do, you are amazing. Well, earlier this week, I sent my mum a Mother's Day card, and the card read as follows. To mum, happy Mother's Day from your biggest achievement. Cheeky, I know, especially as I have a younger sister, but they both have a great sense of humour. But it really captivated me, that little phrase from your biggest achievement, because I was also preparing this message, and I know you're in your series on Philippians at the moment, and I've been asked to speak from it. But you know, if the Philippian church had been sending a Father's Day card to Paul, I reckon they would have written the same, but in their case, with some justification. You see, Paul considers this church his biggest achievement. In verse 1 from the passage we've just had read from Philippians 4, he says, This Philippian church is my joy and my crown. That picture of the crown is the picture of a wreath given to the victor at the Roman gladiatorial games. And Paul literally considers this church his crowning achievement. The letter is full of that affection that he holds for this group of people. He planted this church, he mentors it, but actually it's the church he has great affection and a bond of friendship with. He's incredibly vulnerable in this letter, describing his own need for support and help in these tough times. 
But he's also really aware that this is the church that is going through an incredible tough time itself. It's transition time. It's difficult seasons. It's times of shifts and change. It's times of financial and economic hardship. For them, it's also times of persecution. And his heart is to encourage them, to build them up, to support them. And as he comes towards the end of this friendship lockdown letter, he writes to them with great affection, but also wanting to strengthen them and leave with them some final words of wisdom. These are Paul's top tips in tough times. And the thing about Paul is that his top tips are never just great ideas or good advice. They're not the sort of academic, this is how you should do things and theological niceties. It's not even the case that Paul's gone down to Blackwell's and picked off the shelf a copy of the latest self-help mantras and is kind of passing it on by way of advice. No, Paul's top tips are the tried and tested spiritual keys. They're things that he knows work because he's been there. He's tried them. Later in the letter, we discover that he says, these are the secrets, one of which is the secret of contentment. So Paul's top tips are things he knows work. And in verse 9 of the passage we read this morning, it says, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. What an amazing thing that this man can say, follow me, do what I do. Follow what I've learnt. Of course, follow me as I follow Christ. So what are Paul's top tips for tough times? Well, number one, he says, in the shaking, don't be stirred, but stand firm. It's a James Bond moment. Shaken, but not stirred. Stand firm. You know, over this last 12 months, we've all been through great shaking, Everything that can be shaken has been shaken, from health to the economy, leadership at every level of society, including the church, needing to adapt constantly. Our lives have been turned upside down, social distancing, face mask wearing, all of those things. And if I'm honest, and I, maybe you can connect with this as well, at times I've just felt overwhelmed. I felt shaken. And that's sometimes a good day. <laughs> but I reckon if Paul were writing to us today, he would also say in the shaking, don't be stirred, but stand firm. So what is this standing? Why is this a top tip? What is the secret here, Paul? What is this stand that you are recommending? You know, I was thinking about different stances you can adopt when you stand there's the sort of leisurely standing around, you know, slightly relaxed standing that you might adopt when you're chatting to a friend or standing on the street corner watching the world go by. There's also the stand that Paul picks up in Ephesians 6 where he paints that picture of spiritual warfare and putting on the armor of God. And he says, and when you've done all, stand. And in my mind, I don't know about you when you read that, but in my mind, it's the spiritual sumo wrestler stance. It's the I'm standing hard, staking my ground, claiming my authority, and I will not budge from my ground. But you know, in tough times, 
when the pressure has been on relentlessly, when change is all around, when things are shaking, sometimes we haven't got much fight left in us. And Paul kind of recognizes that here. And actually the standing he's talking about here is not that stand of needing to fight. It's a different word in the Greek. It's the stand that's called stako in the Greek. And it means this, to remain steadfast, to persevere under pressure, to be constant, to stand when you could so easily sit down, give up, or just check out altogether. In a time of testing, it's easy to check out, isn't it? It's easy to say, you know what? Just let it all go on around. But Paul says, stand. Take that position of faithful, persevering, constant standing. What does that look like in practice? Well, maybe it looks like someone who's just been made redundant in a climate that is hard economically, where there aren't many jobs around, and when they're hiring, it's just part-time contracts, and you have no idea where the next paycheck is going to come from. And yet, because you follow Jesus, you adopt a stance of faith, and you say, I don't know where it's going to come from, but one thing I do know, my God is my provider, and he will make me lack no good thing. You know, I was praying a little while ago about provision for our own ministry and for other ministries that are also going through a tough season at this time. And God said this to me, and I want to pass it on to you, because I believe this equips us to stand in these seasons. And he said, you know, the channels of my blessing and my provision for you may change, but the source never will. The channels change it might be government help, it might be the gift of a friend, it might be a job with a steady paycheck. The channels may change, but the source of our provision is always God. He is Jehovah Jireh, and if we stand in that, we stand firm. What else does standing firm look like in these tough times? Well, maybe you've been through health challenges over this last year. And you know, as I prepared this message, I particularly felt that there was someone or maybe more people who had been going through a season of long-term debilitating illness. And I particularly had the sense of chronic fatigue and kind of those types of long-term debilitating sicknesses particularly felt if you were an undergraduate, God really wanted to commend you today because you've been faithful and you've stood. And I felt that people had been standing on words of promise, even prophetic words about healing. And you know, the facts have mocked your faith, but something inside of you has stood and has said, I'm not relenting. Like Job, I know my Redeemer lives. That's what it means to stand in these times. And that's what Paul commends. It's that courageous stand of standing when you could check out. 2 Corinthians 4, 8 to 10, Paul describes it like this. We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. 
We are people who stand. And how do we stand firm? We stand firm when our roots are in the right place. And Paul has spent the entire letter writing to them, reminding them who they are in God. And he adds this phrase, this phrase stand firm in the Lord. You see, what's impossible outside of God becomes possible in the Lord. The picture I had in my mind was of a tree, and this week we've had gales here in the UK blowing us left, right, and center. feels like everything has flown off, you know, including roofs and bins going down the road. It's been windy. But remarkably, when you look at some of the ancient oaks, they get blown about, they get stirred, but they do not lose their ground because they have firm foundations. And from those firm foundations, those roots that go deep, they draw the sap that they need to continue to stand. And I feel God wants to say to us this morning, the sap of faith will rise up inside of you and strengthen you because your roots are in the right place and you will be able to stand if you stand in me. Stand firm is Paul's number one top tip. Number two top tip, in the shaking, he says, support one another. Now, that might sound like the most obvious bit of advice ever, but I want to unpack the picture that Paul paints here, which I think is just so beautiful, and in a sense, we miss it in the English translation. Verses two and three, he's talking about two women who have obviously got some kind of disagreement going on between them. We know it's not a big theological issue that's leading the church astray, like in Galatians, for example. Otherwise, Paul would have said something. But here, it's a, it's a personal disagreement. It's issues between two people. And you know how many of us have discovered in testing times, we can very easily get testy with one another, or maybe that's just me. When the pressure's on, it's hard. Tempers can flare. And I guess this is what's happened here. And Paul says, I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of one mind in the Lord again, interestingly enough. But that word to plead, to urge, some of our old translations say, I beseech you, Euodia and Syntyche. In the English, it can sound a little bit like, you know, Paul's desperate here. He's tearing his hair out. For goodness sake, women, why don't you sort yourselves out and get your act together? But that's not at all what Paul is saying. The word he uses in the Greek is beautiful. It's the word parakalio for your I urge. Parakalio, what is that? It means... I am called to come alongside you as the Holy Spirit comes alongside you to strengthen you, to comfort and encourage you, and to cheerlead you to do better. It's a beautiful picture. We get the word paraclete, which we use for the Holy Spirit from that verb. And here Paul says, let me come alongside you as one called to support, to encourage and strengthen. It's a beautiful picture. And I believe that in this season, we've learned the value again of each other. We've needed each other, and yet we've been distanced. We've wanted each other to be close, to go out for coffee, to meet up, to, you know, have some support in this season. And it's like everything has kept us apart. And Paul's saying here, make sure in tough times that you mind the gap. Don't let gaps appear in your relationships because that's where the enemy can come in and get a foothold if we're not careful. Mind those gaps. 
and especially in the tough seasons. And what he does is to actually encourage that by creating the atmosphere in which the, 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 the people can thrive. And he creates an atmosphere really of a culture of honor. He honors and affirms. Paul commends these two women as co-workers with him, fellow leaders who have contended, not been contentious, mind, contended by his side for the sake of the gospel. He builds that atmosphere in which we can thrive. How many of us have discovered it's far easier to change your behavior when you feel affirmed, loved, encouraged, and built up? You know, there's so much to be said for drawing alongside people and putting up a canopy or greenhouse over them of the love of God. I saw this demonstrated very profoundly when I was uh, in the Middle East in uh, uh, an Arabic-speaking church. And um, I was blessed to be there worshipping with them and at the time, they were looking at the passage from Galatians, Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, where it says, There is in Christ neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, but we are all one in Christ Jesus. And as the Holy Spirit moved in that meeting, suddenly there was a realization. Wow, we've allowed our culture and the religious atmosphere to dictate how we relate one to another. We've allowed the Me Too campaigns. We've allowed the trial by Twitter. We've allowed all of these issues to dictate how we relate one to another. But in the kingdom of God, there is a different culture of honor. And as if by some script only known to the Holy Spirit, suddenly, without any exception, every single one of the men in the room moved and stood alongside one of the women. It was husbands alongside wives. It was sons alongside mothers, brothers alongside sisters. And it was a profound moment of being united together side by side. And to my amazement, and this is the Middle East, this kind of thing doesn't happen. They suddenly began to weep. And as they wept, they then knelt down at the feet of their mums or wives or daughters. And they repented. And they said, we are so sorry for allowing a great gulf to come between us as men and women. In the kingdom of God, we know we are made to stand alongside you. Please forgive us. It was one of the most profound moments ever. And it was just around the time of the Arab Spring when everything that could be shaken was being shaken. And by the grace of God, God had gone ahead and said, you know what? This is how I want my church to live life and do it well. Support one another by coming alongside as the Holy Spirit would come alongside. Honor one another in that culture of grace and of honor and of love and affirmation and you will thrive. And the church has thrived in that part of the world. Let your gentleness be evident to all, Paul says in verse 5. So support one another, first of all, by standing firm. Support one another by, or stand in the shaking, support one another in the standing, stand firm. But also then thirdly, in the shaking, surround yourself with the right sound. 
call is really on what goes on in our minds. And I don't know about you, but in this season of lockdown, the mind games have actually been the biggest challenges. Mental health issues have soared, feelings of loneliness, depression, isolation, and then the anxieties. How am I going to make life work? We've also had the constant negativity of the daily death counts. How many of you have said, I just can't watch the news anymore. I just do not want the negativity. And Paul says we need to ruthlessly root out all negativity. And we need to prime that pump of praise and of rejoicing. Rejoice in the Lord. Come in the opposite spirit. We need to intentionally, radically go after all negativity. He also says, make sure you watch how you're speaking, what the sound is that surrounds you. Don't let anxiety and fear crowd in on you, but instead, make sure you cultivate an attitude of gratitude. You know, he says, bring your prayer requests to the Lord, because he's the one who can meet those needs. But don't do it with that anxious, worry prayer. Do it with a heart of gratitude. I learned a little while ago, it's very hard for worry and stress to remain in my heart when I prime the pump of thanksgiving. Thank you, God, that I've got a roof over my head. Thank you, Father, that I've got food on the table. Thank you, Father, that I've got friends. And as you go on, that pump is primed. The attitude of gratitude. But then Paul also says, you know, it's not just enough to get rid of negativity. You know, our culture is brilliant at suggesting ways in which we can sort of empty ourselves of stress. All of the self-help stuff out there, the yoga and mindfulness, they all say, empty yourself and you'll find peace. But Paul says the opposite is true. Fill yourself and the Bible says, be filled. Be filled with the presence of God. Be filled with joy. Be filled with thanksgiving. And you will find the place of peace. And finally, Philippians 4 and verse 8, Paul says, and make sure you discipline your mind to dwell on what is good. Philippians 4, 8, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever is pure, think about such things. I like to personalize that a little bit more. This is how I read that verse, Philippians 4 verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true about Britain, whatever is noble about the government, whatever is right about the local council, whatever is pure about the church, whatever is lovely about your neighbors, whatever is admirable about your leaders, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy about yourself, insert your name there, think about such things. Very quickly, that transforms the way we live. The band are going to come back and lead us in worship again in a moment. And I just want to finish with this story. I've learnt that those in the toughest situations around the world in the Christian community are often those who learn these secrets 
Secrets of joy, secrets of how to stand and support one another, secrets of how to cultivate kingdom culture that causes us to truly thrive, even in the midst of difficulty. And I remember this story which happened during the Arab Spring, now 10 years ago. And it happened in one of the major cities in the Arab world. And on one particular morning, the streets had been violent with riots, sectarian violence has also erupted again and one particular group of believers woke up and felt prayed together for the nation and felt God say to them I want you to pick up a guitar and I want you to go out on the streets and I want you to sing my praises and release prayers of blessing over the nation at this time to change the atmosphere of negativity and open up a real gateway of praise and of honor over the nation. They were a bit scared by this because it's actually illegal to worship in public, but they felt the Lord was on this so powerfully. And the Lord actually was gracious to them and said, if you go, I will go with you and I will send you this sign. As a sign to you that I am there, within an hour of you worshiping, it will rain over the nation. Now we're talking a desert land where it doesn't rain. And they felt this was really strange, but they said, you know what, we will do it. And they went out and they stood in the square equivalent of our Trafalgar Square. And they began to praise and they began to worship and they began to say, Father, we turn every negative atmosphere over our nation and we lift you up as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Let it rain, let it rain. And they sang that song, let it rain over the nation. You know, the amazing thing was the BBC and CNN were there on that day because they expected trouble. And suddenly the reporters stopped and they said, something really strange is happening in the streets of this city. There is a strange peace that has come. The atmosphere has changed. And the weirdest thing of all is it's begun to rain. I will never, ever forget it. But from that moment on, something shifted across the whole nation. And it was a phenomenal moment of breakthrough. They stood firm. They supported one another and closed every gap. And they ruthlessly rooted out negativity, surrounded themselves with an atmosphere of praise and declared that over the nation. And something shifted. Paul finishes his section here to the the, uh, Philippian church and he says this, and the God of peace will guard your hearts and your minds. This is Paul who was guarded by a military guard of the Romans who at any moment could come and take his life. And yet, because he positioned himself differently, he then saw a different reality. He saw the military guard of God's peace surrounding them. I wonder what you will see in these times. You know, you may be in a position where it hasn't been lockdown that's been so hard for you, but other life issues. Speaking to this church, you're in a time of transition with new leaders, Stephen and Beth, coming. And transition, though exciting, can sometimes feel insecure. The worries creep in, the anxieties. How are we going to manage this, that, and the other? God would say to you today, position yourself correctly, and I will surround you with the peace of the presence of God. You know those words of that amazing song, and with this I'm closing. You may think that I'm surrounded, 
but oh, I'm surrounded by my God. And this is how I fight my battles. How about you? God really bless you. Amen.